You are listening to First Church Charlotte. I am preaching today from this subject, Tear Down This Wall. Tear Down This Wall. And I'm going to read, starting at 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, verse number 17. Also, before I start, let me remind you that my notes are available on the church website. You can go there and download pretty much the same notes I'm preaching from. Uh, Sometimes there's small differences if I got ideas late, but uh, it's pretty much the same. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Can I have a great big amen? Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's a gift. And then we are given a mission by Jesus Christ and we become ministers of reconciliation. That is, God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed us to the word of reconciliation. Verse number 20, now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. We have received something from the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, and we are committed to something through the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. We have received something, and we are committed to something, and they are both of the same spiritual work and of the same spiritual accomplishment. One is a gift. The other is a mission. In other words, you are both blessed and gifted. You have been given something, and it is for you to give to others. And you have been given something, and it is for you to live out in your life. So I am borrowing the famous phrase from American politics where uh, Ronald Reagan gave a speech before Brandenburg Gate in Berlin June 12, 1987. Now, for some reason, I remember this speech. Um, It now is a part of our political history. And if you Google that phrase, uh, tear down this wall, you will be sent to the National Archives. And you'll have an opportunity to read the the speech that President Ronald Reagan gave uh, there at Brandenburg Gate. I was 16 years old when he gave this. And for some reason, I don't remember how, But I was exposed to it, and I can still see the image of him uh, making this speech and pointing with his hand like this, uh, referring to the great political divide that had separated the world between East and West, between democracy and communism. And it was a dramatic moment. It was a moment of geopolitical theater. Now, all, all presidents do this. It's a manner in which you give people a sense of togetherness by image, not just words. It is an important part of leadership, not just to tell, but to show. 
And that was what the president was trying to do. I want to tell you a little backstory behind it. Uh, there had been some disagreement on President Reagan's speech writing staff, whether or not he should say it the way he chose to say it so strongly and uh, so powerfully. Uh, there was, do we add that, do we, do we not add that? There was tension because uh, Europe at that time was disagreeing with the United States on how we should interact with the Soviet Union. And there was a lot of protesters while he was making this speech. There were uh, upwards of 50,000 protesters speaking against him, saying that we should have a different approach to the Soviet Union. There was a lot of tension, but... He was told that East Germans, the people under the authority of that communist system, that East Germans were crowding as close as they could to the wall to hear the loudspeakers echo over the wall and resonate through the city. They wanted to hear. So on one side of the wall, there were people protesting what he had to say and on the other side of the wall there were people hoping to hear what he would say and further he was told that the East German police was showing up in force to push away the people who wanted to hear the words of his speech at that famous uh, infamous shall we say Brandenburg Gate in that place of the, the line of death that separated east from west. A hundred yards of separation. One political system representing one aspiration of the human heart. And the other political system representing a different, somewhat nuanced, uh, in a different way, different path uh, expression of the human heart. And so Ronald Reagan put it in. He put it in the speech. And he stood before them and he said, we hear from Moscow, Moscow, I should say, about a new openness. <laughs> the one sign, he says, or let me make sure I get the context right, could these hints of change be real, he wants to know. Is this talk to be believed and trusted, Reagan wants to know. If so, he says... And speaking louder and louder with more authority and more passion, almost like a preacher trying to convince you of a truth. He says one sign would be unmistakable. General Secretary Gorbachev, if you seek peace, if you seek prosperity for the Soviet Union and Eastern Europe, if you seek liberalization, come here to this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Open this gate, Mr. Gorbachev. Tear down this wall. Here's what's interesting. At the time, the speech wasn't particularly noted at the time, it wasn't particularly celebrated. This is before all the wall of news all the time coming at you everywhere. This is before 24-hour news cable stations were a thing. Uh, that would all come and become part of our uh, social experiment <laughs> later. Uh, it wasn't very much reported, but it resonated a moment and a time. And if you want to understand the ending of the Cold War, the 
separation, the, the, the line of death that split a city. Uh, any re- review of it, any reading of it will take you to this moment where President Reagan points his finger to uh, the, communists, the communist world and says, tear down this wall. Walls are primarily about a separation. Now, at times, separation can be a good thing, and at times, separation can be uh, that which keeps what should happen from happening. We read in the text here about reconciliation, and we looked at it from two perspectives. Number one, what God has done for us. Somebody say amen. Number two, what we have been called to do. We are both ministers of it and ambassadors of it. In other words, you have a work of reconciliation and you have a word of reconciliation. Hell is in the business of dividing. Hell is in the business of destroying. Hell is in the business of taking the human capacity, which, let's be honest, exists within us, and turning it to an expression of hatred, an expression of tribalism, to divide people against people, tribe against tribe, nation against nation, until we only understand each other across the sights of our threats and our hatreds. But Jesus Christ died not just to remove a wall between heaven and earth, but to remove the middle wall of separation. I should explain this really quickly. If you've been around First Church for a while, you've heard me teach and preach on this. But when Paul says that Christ removes the inner wall of separation, he is not just saying we have been reconciled to God. He is saying we have been reconciled one to another. In the temple, there is walls of separating. There's a court of the Gentiles. There is a court of the women, yes. And there is a court of us spiritual sanctified men. Now, everybody knows women are not as spiritual as men. I'm teasing, obviously. What did Christ do? He removed that middle wall of separation. And so Paul can say, when you come in the house of the Lord, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. There is either bond nor slave. There is bond nor free. There is neither male nor female. But in the presence of God, we are all of us. The original breath of life that was breathed into us allowing us to become a soul. Paul talks about a ministry of reconciliation. We live in a generation that desperately needs a church that knows how to reconcile. We live in a generation that desperately needs Christians who know how to look past their own interests and hear another person's pain. We live in an hour where people who have been forgiven need to learn how to see past the transgressions of their brother and their sister and say, we have not just been given a gift of reconciliation, we have been given a ministry, a work of reconciliation, and we have been given a word of reconciliation. You need to understand the power of this. First, the gift of reconciliation. Ezekiel said it, chapter 18, verse number 20, the person who sins will die. It's not original with him. He is echoing the commandment all the way from the Garden of Eden 
where in the day that you eat of the tree of death, of good and evil, of the knowledge of good and evil, the moment where you elevate your justice to God's justice and you find yourself both capable of choosing your own way and judging God for your perceived injustices on his behalf, and the day you partake of that tree, you shall die. Sin demands death. This is not my idea. This is a biblical idea. Paul will say in Romans 6, verse number 23, the wages of sin is death. This is abundantly clear in the covenant, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament. It's abundantly clear what is the solution, the temporary solution for sin. It is death. This is the point of sacrifice. We don't like to view this image because we are often guilty of being more modern than Christian. And so we choose a gospel that satisfies the modern and subjugates the Christian. But sacrifice as an image is placed in the scripture to show us the wages of sin. Every time there is the reality of sin, there is the necessity of sacrifice. And so animal after animal, year after year, high priest after high priest, sacrifice after sacrifice, the sin continues and what continues along with it death sin continues what continues along line uh, with it death sin death sin and a death until the whole creation is groaning for something that can solve the sin problem something that can solve the spiritual separation problem and god decides to do what no one can do to become the lamb of God for sinners slain. He's not forced into this. We don't twist his arm behind his back. He's not guilted into it. He says beautifully in John 10, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down of myself. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This is literally the work of spiritual reconciliation. And if we as believers do not understand this, then our theology is simply more magical thinking. It must be founded upon an understanding of what Christ has done for us. Because once you understand what he has done, for you, you understand what your work, your role, your ambassadorial purpose is here on earth. You've been given the gift of reconciliation and now you do the work of reconciliation and you speak the word of reconciliation. He who knew no sin became sin for us. Even his enemies, Luke 23, Pilate, cynical, pagan, cowardly Pilate says, I find no guilt in this man. That's uh, later in verse 14, he says, I have found no guilt in this man again. And in verse 22, this is all Luke 23, verse 22, he says, why, what evil hath this man done? I have found in him no guilt. He who was sinless became our sin. The thief on the cross says, we indeed suffer justly. He speaks to the other thief. We are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man, this man called the Christ, he has done nothing wrong. The executioners on the hill... 
The centurion himself says in verse 47, certainly this man was innocent. And yet he who knew no sin swapped places with us. That's why you are blessed. That's why you are blessed. If God never does another thing for you, you have cause to dedicate your life to what he has done for you. If God never gives you the pay raise, you are sure, and the rest of us are sure you duly deserve, uh, you still have reason to clap your hands and say, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And more, you are not just the recipient of what God God has done. You have an ambassadorial role to do what God has done for you. And you manifest who he is by what you say and how you live. You want to be a Christian. You, this is how you manifest what he has done. How you speak and how you walk manifests who he is and what he has done. That is why my brothers and sisters, if you want to be a Christian, you need to walk with the fruit of the spirit in your life. Uh, there are no angry Christians not of a nature. There are kind Christians. Uh, there are long suffering Christians. Uh, but the person who bullies his or her way through life and seeks to win by someone else's loss. They're a part of a kingdom my brother, my friend, my sister. But I'm not sure it's the kingdom of this one called the Christ. Because first he has done for us what we could not do. And then he has invoked us in an ambassadorial role whereby what we say and how we walk, we manifest a gift we never deserved. The kind of God you serve will not stop with your faith, but it will flow and ooze into everything in your life. And if you serve the wrong God, it, he or she or it will curse you, even when you claim it is blessing you. You see, the Bible gives us some images of false views of God. You will remember uh, the God called Baal. And you will remember the great showdown at O.K. Corral where Elijah and the 450 prophets of Baal show off in the first biblical western showdown uh, with quick draws and everything. <laughs> and the prophets of Baal pray to their God. And Elijah says to them, maybe your God doesn't hear you. Maybe he's a God of apathy. Maybe he's in Florida uh, maybe he is doing the COVID distancing on his private yacht. Maybe you should yell louder. Maybe you have an apathetic God problem. There are people today trying to live a life of joy, but they have an apathetic God problem. They cannot see God as near enough to love, near enough to care, near enough to hear their prayers. You have to believe uh, that he is. Uh, and number two, he is the rewarder of them that diligently seek him. The kind of God you you worship will not just soothe you in your fears uh, it will bless you or curse you and so Baal is the god of apathy maybe you should sacrifice more Elijah says seeing the essence of the problem and with his words he does more than mock he cuts open the Gordian knot of their philosophy 
The problem is not that your God couldn't, let's say. He's not attacking them in their faith. He's attacking them in the very foundational philosophy of what they have chosen to worship. Maybe he's just too busy. Maybe you should hurt yourself some more. There's another image of a God who's not just apathetic. This would be a God shown to you in Scripture by the name of uh, Molech. This is not just the apathetic God, but this is the malign God. This is the malignant God. This is a God that springs from the darkest capacity of the human conscience. This is the theological cancer that is birthed within broken people and shows itself to be so ugly that the only way God could be appeased is through some absurd mockery of human sacrifice. This is the malignant God. God as one who wants to make the world better by adding to the sum of its suffering. The God you worship is formative to you. We are invited to see that there would be no church if God was not at his heart a savior. This is the uniqueness of the Christian story and the uniqueness of central doctrine that makes grace the celebration of the church. Reconciliation is only possible through mercy and forgiveness. Paul said it, and we read it in that passage where he's talking about reconciliation. He says in verse 18, these things are of God. What are you talking about? This idea of reconciliation, this idea of forgiveness, this idea of mercy, this central understanding as a God who makes all things new. These things are of God. Adam and Eve sins. God doesn't show up to hurt them. God shows up saying, where are you? And he's been seeking sinners ever since sense. Luke 15, remember there is the parable of the lost sheep. There's the parable of the lost coin. There's the parable of the lost son. God is not satisfied with a 99% success ratio. But if there's one lost sheep, he will put the 90 and 9 in a safe place and go look for one lost sheep. If you don't understand the heart of God that craves right relationship with you, then you will think serving God is somehow related to you being good enough, not related to you being an ambassador to the world who says, God loves you so much. He's moved heaven and earth that you might have a personal relationship with him. We have received a gift and we have been given a mission. We have been given a word of spiritual reconciliation. The father does not embrace Uh, meet the prodigal with a reminder of the prodigal's error the father does not meet the prodigal with a pointed finger asking have you learned your lesson the prodigal is met by a father who runs runs a father who was watching a father who was waiting who threw a robe 
around his body and put a ring on his finger and celebrated the return of the prodigal. This doctrine, this church, this Christian way must stand upon a heart of the Savior who has moved everything to make reconciliation possible with him and invited us not just to receive but to be the living expression of his heart we are given a work of reconciliation there is a wall between us and God yes but he's in the business of tearing down that wall there is a wall between one another yes but God is in the business of tearing down that wall there's a wall between people that is built of politics there's a wall between people that's built of tribal preference and tribal inheritance there's a wall between people of ages you're more comfortable comfortable with this group you'd like hanging out with that group there is walls between us of opinion there is walls of separation but in Christ all who have been washed in the blood of the lamb are able to come together so overwhelmed by what God has done we cannot help but feel it our mission to live out a ministry of reconciliation I know I'm laying a little bit of heavy heavy uh things on you today but I'm not done I'm going to lay something even heavier on you have you ever heard of the law of Lamech the law of Lamech how many have heard of the law of Lamech raise your hand oh well God bless you if you'd come right up here brother no I'm just teasing <laughs> the law of Lamech um, so I'm going to read to you Genesis 4 verse number 23 verse number 24 then Lamech said to his wives Ada and Zillah Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Listen to my speech. For I have killed a man for wounding me, even a young man for hurting me. If Cain shall be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. It's easy to read this as a statement, like just simple communication, but we miss it to uh, the reader of the time. They would have understand the notable act of him calling his family together. Imagine someone, some, some individual calls his family together and says, I want to make it clear what kind of a family we are. I want to make clear how we operate. He, he's doing more than establishing what he has done or talking over dinner. He is establishing principle for his family. This is the kind of people we are. You don't do us wrong. We will hunt you down. We will steal all your lunch money. You do not mess with us. You touch me, I'll touch you twice. You hit me, I will drop kick you like you have never seen. We are the Lamechians and we don't play maha. In Jewish history, this is called the law of Lamech, and he established this principle for his people. This is how we live. You touch us, we, we, you hurt us, we hurt back. Uh, and this becomes known in the rabbinical tradition, in the Mishnah. It becomes known as the law of Lamech. And so one day Peter's talking to the Lord and they're talking about this issue of dealing with people who have wronged you. And so um, Peter you know, in the manner of all of us, he's partly asking a question and partly posturing, just like the rest of us. Don't act righteous. He's partly asking a question, but he's pa partly posturing. And he says, Lord, how many times should I forgive somebody? This is all Matthew 18, by the way. It's in your notes. 
How many times should I forgive somebody who has wronged me? And Peter, I'm sure he wants to be the boy who gets the gold star. Look, Dad, how high I can jump. Look, Mom, how fast I can run. Sometimes I wonder how, if any of us really ever outgrow the little boy and the little girl we were seeking approval. Jesus, how many times do I have to forgive someone who's done me wrong? Um, and the, in the rabbinical tradition, the rabbis taught that you had to forgive three times. And so P Peter, he's already going the extra mile. He's been listening. So what he does is he, he doubles it, the extra mile. And then he thinks about that. And I'm having fun with this, but it's probably not too far from the truth. And he thinks, well, I'll add one to get that biblical number of seven. That biblical number of seven, hallelujah, I'm so spiritual, I don't even touch the ground when I walk. So, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother? You know, the rabbis say three. Seven times? He has come up with something here, and he is quite pleased with himself. And he's just standing a little too straight, and he is just a little too pleased with, with how he has presented his philosophy of mercy. And Jesus says to him that great statement in verse number 22, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70, uh, seven, 70 times seven. 70 times 7. Now to us, we read that just as a fun with numbers. Add a zero. That's not what's going on here. Jesus, as a philosophy of knowing God and pleasing God, is reversing the law of Lamech that the rabbinical tradition knows he is referring to. They take pride in how you don't mess with them. They're a real tough guy. You ever get sick of tough guys? I get sick of tough guys. They're a real tough guy. And they're going to show how tough they are. And 70 times seven we're never going you mess with us we will break your face Jesus as a demonstration of how to know God how to please God right living you want to be his disciple think about this reverse the law of Lamech in your life reverse the principle whereby you're looking to fight your own battles reverse the principle where you want it to be known that you're a dangerous person to mess with reverse that principle if you want to be a minister of reconciliation and I hope you do you have to understand that this kingdom is founded upon grace not justice justice has been solved through grace it is a kingdom founded upon grace Anne Lamont says this I went around saying for a long time that I am not one of the Christians who is heavily into forgiveness that I am one of the other kind but even though it was funny and actually true it started to be painful to stay this way in fact not forgiving is like Drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. We have been called to a ministry of reconciliation. Jesus, to make this principle even more spiritual. You see, if he would have stopped here, hear me church, hear me. If he would have stopped with this statement to Peter, you could have categorized it as good advice. Not unlike a proverb given by a wise man to the young, wise man to the young men of his court. If Jesus would have stopped at that moment. It could have simply been life advice. It could have simply been a good way to live. Kind of a proverb that you quote when it suits you. 
But Jesus isn't satisfied to simply give life advice. He's going to give spiritual advice. And from the next thing he says, verse 23, Therefore, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king who went, wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Jesus tells the story of the unforgiven servant who had been forgiven a debt of 10,000 talents. A ridiculous, that's the kind of sum that would be owed by a national treasury. And here he applies it to one individual. He had been forgiven 10,000 talents, but he would not forgive a servant, the smallest of things. And the king hears that he cannot do it. And he calls this servant in and says, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I have had pity on you? And his master was angry. His master was angry. This is more than life advice, church. Hear me. This principle of forgiveness, mercy, leading to reconciliation is more than life advice. This is not simply a philosophy of a good man. This is a spiritual principle that the church is founded and fundamentally made possible by an act of mercy. And we have been drafted into this ambassadorial role to be speakers of mercy, to be those who tell the world God's dying for a personal relationship for you. Pardon the pun. Christ is dying for a personal relationship for you. Or let me say it differently. Christ died for a personal relationship with you. Or let me say it differently. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. One of the hardest things that us Christians face is to live in an economy of mercy. Oh, we can quote the scripture, we can sing the song, but to live in an economy of mercy is very difficult. We want to judge others by merit and ourselves by grace. Yippee-ki-yay, yippee-ki-yay. Others by merit and ourselves by grace. Can I have a big amen? That's what we want to do. That's flesh, 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 flesh. Mercy for me, judgment for you. But grace and forgiveness go hand in hand. It is a spiritual principle, not life advice. It is a spiritual principle. They exist together. They operate together. God acts toward us in grace. And we swim in waters of grace. And we breathe the air of grace. And in terms of our relationship with God, it must be, it only must be, that we manifest that grace to the world. You have the great opportunity to be a minister of reconciliation. You have the great calling upon you to be a minister of reconciliation. And I'm almost done. If you think I'm preaching long today, just remember that Pastor Nathan took all my time and then Sister Charla, the pastor's baby mama, took all my time. It ain't even my fault, y'all. And besides, you got to have mercy on this poor long preaching up here, long preacher up here. Anyway, moving along. We live out this economy of grace and mercy. Forgiveness is not for others, it's for you. If someone is un, if they are, if they have hurt you, I'm not saying you go make yourself vulnerable to them. It's not for them. 
If someone has some way abused you, it's not so you go back and take more abuse. That's, it's not for them. They have to have their own encounter with grace that is vertical. This ambassador role we have one to another is for us that we might have waters to swim in. And if we cannot find that celebration of grace whereby we let go the fault of their transgression against us, not go back and make ourselves vulnerable. If they stole your money, you don't go leave your house open and call them and tell them when. I'm going to be at the beach next week. Feel free. That's not what I'm talking about. This is about what makes new life possible. And you cannot say you are a part of one kingdom and identify yourself through your role, actions, choice, and words as the representative of another kingdom. Because ultimately, the role of the Christian is not a celebration of who we are, but a celebration of who he is. You have been given this wonderful role of manifesting the work of grace in your life and to not just receive, but to represent, not just to accept, but to proffer to others, not just to celebrate, but to communicate. We are both the receivers of reconciliation and we are the givers of reconciliation. Um, there was a, I'm almost done, musicians, you can come. There was a study done, and I have another set of notes that somehow in my uh, working, uh, I, it's in another online folder, and I don't have it in front of me, so I'm going to do this from memory. Uh, this was from a study from a sociologist, and using small uh, investment groups, he created, and he, remember, he's researching uh, human behavior, he created groups that they would pull their money and they would invest it together and as they made money they would receive a portion just like a share in a company and however it wasn't about investing the study wasn't about investing it wasn't about money it was about revenge and what he did is he structured the groups where there was some person in the group who because they managed and because they had uh, the ability to do so, they were able to not contribute but to receive. They didn't contribute, but they received. And um, um, if any of you actually want this uh, details, I'll, I'll try to get it to you or I'll update the notes or something. But anyway, uh, this is from a, a journal, a professional journal. And so the people who did not contribute to the investment group, if you calculate how much they received, they received on net over twice as much as the people who did contribute. Um, and they, they were called a free rider in the study. They cheated the system. They were a free rider. So then, remember, it's not about investing. It's not about money. It's about revenge. And so then what he did is he found a way, using these groups, to let the people know somebody was free riding and to give them an opportunity to commit some of their money to hurting the other person. Everyone who got the opportunity to fight back, to get them back, took it. Everybody he offered the opportunity. You can commit a portion of your funds to making those suckers pay. Uh, everyone took it. This is what the study was about. Later, he interviewed everybody and asked them how they felt. The study was about revenge. And it was it's actually the... I, 
found the study in Psychology Today magazine. And he, he studied them on the people who had chosen revenge. Um, the people who knew but did not have the opportunity to take revenge moved on. He didn't give them the opportunity to take revenge. They moved past it. And they're like, oh, well, got it. That, that kind of stuff happens. The people who had taken revenge by the standards of the study was much less happy than the people who didn't. And the researcher's trying to understand this and he uses in his study this term called rumination. It's in the study, rumination. What's the difference in the people who moved on and the people who took revenge? Rumination. The people who took revenge kept thinking about it. They kept thinking about it. They kept thinking about it. They kept thinking about it. In their mind, they were replaying them. I got them. I, I don't know who it was, but I got them. And the problem they lived in was they could not stop ruminating about the central issue of what they got away with and how I tried to get them back. Even when they were claimed to be happy that they took revenge, which they all claimed to be happy that they did it. They all scored lower than the people who didn't. What's going on here? That term that he used, rumination, that term, kind of a strange term, certainly not a spiritual term. Let me, let me say something that may surprise you. That's another way of describing the inner self or as spiritual people say, the problem of the heart, the inner self. Jesus, on the Sermon on the Mount, talks a lot about the heart problem. The issue is not actually what you did wrong. The problem was that in your heart, there was this desire you had to live that way, to try to cheat, to try to steal, to try to shortcut, to try to shoplift on life. That was the real issue. That was the real issue. And that issue is so important. Sermon on the Mount, don't have time for this. Let me throw it in for free. It's so important. What Jesus basically says in the Sermon on the Mount is, if... That issue is so important that even if you didn't do wrong, that if it was just in your heart to do it, it's the same thing. Because spiritual life happens in your inner world. Faith lives in your inner world. And when a psychologist says rumination, that's like a preacher saying what the, the problem is the heart. You cannot fix the heart. It is what that inner life. Where do you think hope comes from? It comes from rumination. Oh my goodness. I know I used their word, but I'm telling you, where do you think faith comes from? It comes from rumination. Where do you think joy comes from? I'm going to show you some bad rumination. Here's some bad rumination. Oh, my brother Anthony did me wrong. When I get a chance, I'm going to get him back. He hit me with a water balloon. I'm going to wait till he's wearing his favorite tie, and I'm going to have them all lined up, and it's going to be like Michelle. Machine gun killing. And all that. Uh, sucker, who's he think he is? I'm going to tell his wife. She's going to get him. It's going to be bad. I, what am I doing? I'm ruminating on it. 
Do you guys see what I'm saying? Where do you think hope comes from? That conversation you have with yourself. Where do you think joy comes from? That inner life as you choose to live it. And this is what Jesus would have you to know. In that inner life that you live. If you're not able to let go of hurting others, uh, you're not of his kingdom. In that inner life that you live, if you're not able to let go of judgment and who gets hurt and who has to pay, if you can't let go of that, it's not that you're not a part of a kingdom. You are a part of a kingdom. You're a part of Lamech's kingdom. You hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. You blind me, I'm going to blind you back. It's an eye for an eye, and as Gandhi said, soon the whole world is blind. There's another way to live. And it's so essential. It's a spiritual principle. It's not just good living. It's not just a guide to life. It's a spiritual principle. That's why there's so many scriptures. Like just top of my head, James 3 and 18. If you don't forgive, you're not going to be forgiven. Why? It's a spiritual principle. I don't know if you've noticed, but I've been preaching a lot about repentance lately. I've done it several times. Now, I should have just did a series on it, and then you would think I was organized. But I'm not that organized. Let's all stand across the house. I want you to see the power of reconciliation in one image. They say a picture's worth a thousand words. All right. What is it that the Christ, a king triumphant, a son glorified, what is it he cries out before he completes his mission on earth? Is it a declaration of victory over the inescapable snare of sin? Is it a joyous farewell to the world that has despised, mocked, and killed him? Where are the angels descending from the clouds, blowing their trumpets, spilling a light over the Son of God himself? What is it he says at the end? Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And the mystery of that moment hovers over all the Gospels. Because when you truly forgive, it can feel like it's killing you. Let me say it this way. Reconciliation feels like sometimes you're dying. And the words feel foreign. They don't make sense. And the syllables clash. And it just, what do you mean God has forsaken me? Hear me. It can feel overwhelming to forgive. It can feel like a cross in the middle of your sky. But you are most like Christ when you work in the ministry of reconciliation. And you lay down your justice. And you lay down your judgment that the wall might be torn down. What does the church do? We tear down this wall. We couldn't do it if he hadn't torn down this wall. But because of that, we tear down this wall. All across the house, would you just direct your attention toward God? Close your eyes. Lift your hands if you would like. Bow your head if you would like. We can't do typical altar gatherings as we often do. And I miss that. I'm looking forward to doing it. But right now, that does not mean we can't have a move in your heart of God's presence where you perceive his nearness and his commitment to you. Lord Jesus, we love you. Would you let us see with spiritual eyes today? Would you let us see with spiritual hearts today? 
you help us perceive the nature of the kingdom you are building would you help us Lord Jesus to perceive and know to perceive and know your greatness your goodness your love oh we bless your name today we worship you we glorify you we magnify you fill us fill feel a, a direction that I want to want to communicate a lot of times what I will do is I'll, I'll work on it and I oftentimes won't know I won't I won't really know why that's just me being honest I won't know why and I had work on this subject really it's been in my spirit for a while uh, and this week quite out of quite out of after the message was kind of uh, prepared and in the oven that's <laughs> what you do you prepare a message you get it all ready and it's all ready then you put it in the oven and uh, then it gets hot then it's ready to eat <laughs> um, so I have served some cold food in my time and it's not so good um, as a confirmation two, twice this week after my message was done I, I, I had conversations with Christian people who are living with the reality of uh, abuse, living with the reality of things that they suffered with and, and grew with. And er, uh, both times it was just like the Lord saying, you know, why don't you just let me do the, <laughs> just trust me in what you want to preach about. What would I say to someone who has struggled to overcome something? Um, and how would we go about Forgiving. I want to remind you, first of all, uh, a lot of pain, suffering, abuse happens at a time when you don't know how to defend yourself. Now, you probably know how to defend yourself now, so you would are not in the same vulnerable position that you were in. And so the, the right answer is not to go put yourself back in a vulnerable position. That, that's not what forgiveness is. Forgiveness is about you letting go of the prison of yesterday in your life. We have, we have a ministry here at the church we call Freedom. Uh, Brother Anthony uh, organizes it, leads it up. And the whole thing's organized. Really the point of it is to help people deal with their yesterdays. Because what stops you oftentimes um, is actually not the spiritual warfare that happens. But it's your inability to move into a new spiritual identity. You are held, trapped like amber in an old identity. A per, uh, that, that old place, you know, the fearful, terror, pain, suffering. Uh, the first step of absolute renewal is when you truly cast yourself upon God's mercy and you repent. That's the moment that they throw a party in heaven. Uh, they, it's at repentance. And at that moment, because God's accomplishment is finished and you now are a partaker of his accomplishment. But from that moment is not just a receiving. But now there is an opportunity for you to live the spiritual principle you have received. And this is where you free yourself from the chains, the bondage of the person who hurt you. The person who wounded you. The person who broke you. You don't have to go back and be vulnerable again. That's a different issue. And that's a, something wrestled out by wisdom but you cannot live in a world where you receive mercy for yourself 
but want everyone else to receive justice. It doesn't work spiritually. It will hurt your faith and it will destroy your church. And at some level, you will secretly know your religion is secular. It's another eye for an eye. The law of Lamech. If you want to transcend and live in the realm of the divine, you have to trade your justice for his mercy. And you reverse the law of Lamech. And you say, there is nothing that I will allow to curse me in this moment. I will give it all to God and I will open my hands, I will open my heart and I will say I am swimming in waters of grace, I am swimming in waters of mercy and I today am a new creation in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for everyone here. I pray for the people who are watching this online. They're still in their homes. Lord, help us to be honest about the reality of our heart and our need for spiritual renewal. Help us not to try to play some type of a, a game where we pretend and our faith is some type of a, a make-believe type structure in our life where we use, we use you to kind of reassure ourselves, but we never really change. Lord, save us from that type of a form of godliness and, save, and teach us how to truly surrender. Teach us how to truly cast ourselves into the, 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 the ocean of grace and mercy that we're able to be reborn in it. We're able to be freed from yesterday's dilemmas and tragedies and we're able to stand in newness of life with you in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's something in your life that keeps coming back to you and it comes back with a brand new awakening of pain, hatred, anger, fear, rage, I want you to commit that to the Lord. I want you to let go of it. I want you to place it on the altar. And I'm going to tell you a little secret. You're going to have to do it more than once. You're going to have to do it more than once. You can't just do it today and that be the end of it. Oh, how good that would be. You're going to have to choose grace day after day after day. You're going to have to choose mercy, grace. But you will find on the other side of you laying down your judgment is the moral equivalent of you taking your hands off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and you say vengeance is the Lord's. I'm not going to handle that. I'm not going to wrestle with that. Vengeance is the Lord's. And in that moment where you get yourself out of divine competition, you have the option of becoming a worshiper. Not a competitor. I'm a worshiper. I've been washed by love divine. And so I stand in newness. I stand in spiritual, a spiritual new day. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away and all things have become new. I have received your reconciliation and I am a minister of reconciliation. Reconciliation is what I do and it is what I say. And I thank you for it today in Jesus' name. Would you put your hands together? Would you lift your voice? Would you give God a shout of praise in this house? We bless you, oh God. Thank you for listening to First Church Charlotte. If this podcast has blessed you, please rate it with four or five stars. By doing so, you will help others find our free podcast and bless them. 
you're in the Charlotte, North Carolina area, come worship with us at 4929 North Sharon Amity Road. For information about service times, church ministries, and so much more, visit us online at firstchurchclt.com. If you would like to help support our efforts, please text GIVE to 704-445-5353. We pray God's richest blessings to you. Come, worship with us.